create some space. Uh, all the while, I recognized the fact that uh, there were individuals that were trying to grab a hold of my gun. I remember one of them distinctly lunging at me time and time again, trying to grab my gun. And I heard people in the crowd yelling, get his gun, uh, kill him with his own gun, and words to that effect. Uh, I thought about using my weapon. I believe that there were individuals in the crowd whose intentions were uh, to kill me. And I came to that conclusion because of the fact that uh, separated from these other officers uh, who are only trying to defend the Capitol, I no longer posed any type of threat, uh, nor was I uh, an impediment to them, um, you know, going inside of the building. Uh, but yet they tortured me. They beat me. Uh, I was struck with a taser device at the base of my skull numerous times. And they continued to do so uh, until I yelled out that I have kids. Uh, and I said that hoping to appeal to some of their, uh, some of those individuals' humanity. Um, and fortunately, a few did step in uh, and intervene on my behalf. Um, they did assist me back towards the mouth of the tunnel entrance and uh, other officers were then able to uh, rescue me and pull me back inside. But at that point, I was unconscious. And uh, based off the uh, body-worn camera footage, um, it's believed that I was unconscious for approximately four minutes. Thank you, officer, and thanks to each one of you. Our country is lucky, really blessed that you are as patriotic and brave as, as you are. I yield back, Mr. Chairman. General Lady yields back. Chair recognizes a gentleman from Illinois, Mr. Kingsinger, for however long he chooses. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you to my colleagues on the committee. Thank you to our witnesses. Uh, I never expected a day to be <clears throat> quite as emotional for me as it has been. Uh, I've talked to a number of you and gotten to know you. I think it's important to tell you right now, though, you guys may like individually feel a little broken. You guys all talk about the effects you have to deal with, and you know you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys help. You know, democracies are not defined by our bad days. We're defined by how we come back from bad days. How we take accountability for that. And for all the overheated rhetoric surrounding this committee, our mission is very simple. Let's define the truth and it's to ensure accountability. Like most Americans, I'm frustrated that six months after a deadly insurrection breached the United States Capitol for several hours on live television, we still don't know exactly what happened. Why? Because many in my party have treated this as just another partisan fight. It's toxic and it's a disservice to the officers and their families to the staff and the employees on the Capitol complex, to the American people who deserve the truth, 
and to those generations before us who went to war to defend self-governance because self-governance is at stake. And it's why I agreed to serve on this committee. I wanna know what happened that day, but more importantly, I want all Americans to be able to trust the work this committee does and get the facts out there free of conspiracy. This cannot continue to be a partisan fight. I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative. But in order to heal from the damage caused that day, we need to call out the facts. It's time to stop the outrage and the conspiracies that fuel the violence and division in this country. And most importantly, we need to reject those that promote it. As a country, it's time to learn from our past mistakes, rebuild stronger so this never happens again, and then we can move onward. And serving on this committee, I'm here to investigate January 6th, not in spite of my membership in the Republican Party, but because of it not to win a political fight, but to learn the facts and defend our democracy. Here's what we know. Congress was not prepared on January 6th. We weren't prepared because we never imagined that this could happen. An attack by our own people fostered and encouraged by those granted power through the very system they sought to overturn. That is a lesson. That is not a conspiracy theory or a counter narrative. We don't blame victims, we go after the criminals. Some have concocted a counter narrative to discredit this process on the ground that we didn't, on the grounds that we didn't launch a similar investigation into the urban riots and looting last summer. Mr. Chairman, I was called on to serve during the summer riots as an Air National Guardsman. <laughs> I condemn those riots and the destruction of property that resulted, but not once, did I ever feel that the future of self-governance was threatened like I did on January 6th? There is a difference between breaking the law and rejecting the rule of law, between a crime, even grave crimes, and a coup. As we begin our work today, I want to call this committee's attention to the oath of office, an oath not to a party, not to an individual, but to the Constitution that represents all Americans. Everyone in elected office knows how hard it can be sometimes to keep that oath, to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States in the forefront of our minds, what with the political pressures and re-elections always around the corner. But Mr. Chairman, our witnesses today, like every law enforcement officer across the country, took the same oath we did. And on January 6th, the temptation to compromise their oaths didn't come in the form of a campaign check or a threat from leadership or an all-caps tweet. It came in the form of a violent mob. While we on this dais were whisked away from the danger, heroes like those here stood their post before it and paid the price. And we are only here now because you guys were here then. Therefore, it's altogether fitting that we begin our investigation of January's lawless attack against the Constitution with these four men who made sure that the attack did not succeed with those who helped to ensure that democracy held. And I think it's important to remember that you are four with stories, but there are hundreds with stories as well that you represent where you sit. Officer Fanone, I know your passion is to make sure that DC Metro gets the credit it's due. And I thank you for your, I know that you represent the hundreds of officers like Officer Hodges that responded to that call. 
what I want to ask, does this feel like old history to any of the four of you? Sometimes I get, you know, we hear out there, it's time to move on, right? It's been six whole months, time to move on. Does this feel like old history and time to move on? You can just say yes or no. And... No, sir. Uh... Nope. There can be no moving on without accountability. There can be no healing until we make sure this can't happen again. I echo that. You, how do you move on without correcting what happened? Like, Let me ask you all, one of the narratives out there, and Officer Fanon, this, it triggered something in your testimony when you said it. So there's been this idea that this was not an armed insurrection and as if somehow that is justification for what happened we know the hugs and kisses we know the it was blm and antifa right of course then you would i'm sure want to investigate that if that's the case now we've heard maybe the fbi actually started this but one of the ones that has always held was that this was not an armed insurrection officer dunn you mentioned that those that stormed the capitol were very well organized and trained and let me ask you and i'll ask actually to all four of you and Officer Hodges, I know this was part of your job initially before you got you responded to the Capitol. If in the middle of all that melee, you see somebody with a gun in that crowd, would you be able to go out, apprehend, arrest them, read them their rights, and go through that process? Or was the mission at the moment survival and defense of the Capitol? So I'm asking, is it possible that people maybe had guns? And we've seen that actually there were. But this idea that, well, people weren't arrested with guns at the time, it was raw survival. I'll start with, we can just start on the left. Let me ask you, what, what's your response to that? For those people who continue to downplay this uh, violent attack on our democracy and our officers, uh, I suggest them to look at the videos and, and the footage for now because common things were used as weapons, like a baseball bat, a hockey stick, a rebar, a flagpole, um, including the American flag, uh, pepper spray, bear spray. So you name it, you have all these items and things that were thrown at us and attack and used to attack us. Those are weapons. No matter if it is a, a pen, the way they were using these items it was to her officers. It was to her police officer that their intent was, was not to say, hey, let me go and find the Republicans or the Democrats in there or the independents. It was every single body that was here in this building, in the Capitol, that their intent was to get them out and hurt them. It would have been a much different outcome had we not stopped them, especially at the lower West Terrace entrance. Even though we, at that time, we didn't know that that was the, that there were other breaches in the Capitol. Our intent was to stop whoever was trying to come in through that door. And those weapons that we used, those were common uh, items. The way they were using it was uh, as weapons. Let me, let me ask too, in kind of my final moments, Sergeant Cannell, Officer Hodges, you were a uh, Virginia Guardsman, I believe, fellow Guardsman. Yes, sir. At any time, 
in your service in the military, as you know, I'm an air guardsman. Uh, and Sergeant Gunnell, you specifically mentioned your time in Iraq. At any time in your uh, uh, military service, did you change how you defended the person to your left or right or how you trained with them based on their political affiliation? No. Whether it was in war or anything? No. No, sir. Uh, my The way I, I view it at that time, it was I'm an American and the person right next to me is an American. And I would do everything possibly for me to defend him and the country at that time. You guys did that? You guys did that in the blue? Yes, sir. And I want to say that is the mission of this committee. We may have our deep differences on other policy issues, but we are all Americans today. We thank you for holding that line. Cong Congressman, if I may, if I may respond to uh, Congressman. Um, when you asked about the armed part, when the officers, assumed officers, showed me their what appeared to be a police badge, um, I don't know too many police officers, and this is just me being a police officer for 13 years, that carry their badge and don't carry a gun with them. So I look, we look on their hips, you see a print. I didn't see that it was a gun, but a reasonable police officer would believe that that's a gun on their hip. And just to quickly be specific, a print is basically what looks like the outline of a gun. That's correct. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, witnesses. Thank you. The gentleman yields back. Checker, Chair recognizes the gentleman from California, Mr. Schiff. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I was on the House floor from the beginning of the joint session uh, until the attack and evacuation by the Capitol Police, and I want to thank you. Um, I'm convinced that one of the lives you saved that day might very well have been my own. Um, we are all greatly in your debt. Uh, you are all heroes. Uh, Sergeant Gunnell, um, Representative Lofgren asked you about your experience, and I won't ask you to repeat that. I would like the public to see from your perspective uh, some video, if you're comfortable with my showing it. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, if the clerk could uh, roll the video, please. Sergeant, uh, in that video, one of the first things you hear is uh, someone saying you're going to die tonight. Um, you described uh, in your opening statement uh, being crushed by rioters. You could feel yourself losing oxygen, thinking this was how your life was going to end, trampled to death, uh, defending the Capitol. Um, it's hard for any of us to understand what you went through, even though we were there. Uh, it's even harder, I think, for people around the country to understand what that was like. Uh, can you tell us what you were thinking when you were losing oxygen and thought that might be the end? My rationale there, and the way I was thinking is like, 
we can't let these people in no matter what, even if it costs my life. Um, that had bloody hand that you saw, that, that's me in there. And both, hand, both my hands were bleeding bad. And at no point in time did I stop to consider stop because the attacks were so relentless that all we had to do is, I was thinking was, I need to survive this if possible, but I'm willing to sacrifice myself to prevent this, uh, the attack attackers from coming in. Um, I swore an oath and to protect the public, the member of Congress and the United States Constitution when I, and that's what I was doing that, that day, regardless of my personal sa safety, along with everybody else who, that was there that, that day. Um, they were calling us traitors, even though they were the one doing committing the treasonous act that day. Um, it, it is devastating and demoralizing for people, whoever party is, to call the, this attack and continue to minimize it like nothing happened. It was an attempted coup that was happening at the Capitol that day. And if it had been another country, the U.S. would have sent help. And, and, and people need to understand the severity of in the magnitude of, of the event that was happening that day. We were all fighting for our lives to give them and people who we gave them the borrowed time to get to safety. Now they're attacking us. They're attacking our characters. They're attacking Officer Harriet character, people who never serve in the in their military or in as a law enforcement. It's a disgrace. Um, my actions that day was to save you guys, regardless of my personal safety. And I still continue to, to wanting to do that today, tomorrow, and as long as I'm permitted to do it. And if it is, if it is demanded of myself to do that in the future. Sergeant, um, this obviously had a deep impact on you, uh, all of you, um, but it's also had a big impact on your family. Uh, you described uh, how when you got home, you couldn't even hug your wife because you had chemicals all over you. Um, you wanted to go back. Uh, it seems like no sooner had you gotten home, you wanted to go back. Yes, sir. Um, I think I read that you said you felt guilty. Um, did your wife want you to go back? No. Why did you go back? And, and, um, and, and what was your conversation with her about that? After I took a shower, uh, I spent about 10 minutes hugging her and my son. Um, she, I told her I got to get some sleep because I got to go back to work. And she told me, no, you're not. Um, you hurt. I said, no, I'm still able to continue to carry out my duties and by eight o'clock, I was already on my way back, despite, despite her concerns and for my safety. My sense of duty for the country, for the constitution, 
at that time was bigger than even my love for my wife and my, my son. I put that ahead. And for me, it's confounding that some people who have sworn off elected officials, including people in the military uh, that I seen at the lower stairs fighting against me, they sworn off and they forgetting about that off. They're not putting the country before the party. And that's what bothers me the most. Because I, as a uh, former soldier, I know what that inherits, that wolf. And I was willing, I'm still doing, willing to do that. And we got people right now in front of the Justice Department asking to release some of the very same people to be released, even though we are testifying about the trauma and the agony, everything that happened to us. It's pathetic. And they shouldn't be elected official anymore. Officer Dunn, um, you, you described talking to your uh, fellow black officer about what you went through and experiencing uh, those racial epithets. Uh, you asked a question, I think, that I've been haunted by ever since. Is this America? And I'm very interested to know your thoughts on the answer to that question. Um, is this America what you saw? Well, uh, thank you for your question. Um, you know, I, I said this, I've, I've done a few interviews before about what my experiences that day. And I said that um, it was a war that we fought and a war is composed of a bunch of different battles. And everybody, even sitting at this table, fought a different battle that day, but it was all for the same war. Um, and as black officers, I believe we fought a different battle also. And um, the fact that we had our, our race attacked and just because of the way we look, you know. To answer your question, frankly, I guess it is America. It shouldn't be, but I guess that's the way that things are. I don't condone it. I don't like it. I mean, if you look at our history of American history, things are, countries existed because they beat, they won a war or colonies and state lines and boundaries exist because of violence and wars. Like, so I guess <laughs> it sounds silly, but I guess it is American and it's so, but it's not the, it's not the side of America that I like, it's not the side of that any of us here represent. We represent the, the good side of America, the people that actually believe in decency and human decency, and we appeal to just the, the good of the good in people. That's what we want to see. Whether we disagree with how they vote on a bill about infrastructure, everybody wants the right thing, people to do okay. So that's why I'm glad to see this committee composed of Republican members also. So I, it, I, it, that's encouraging. It's encouraging. So that's the side of America that I say, yes, this is America. 
this is the side that I like and the, the side that I acknowledge, so. Officer, thank you. Um, I believe in this country and I believe in it because of people like you uh, who understand what the flag means and what our constitution means and risk their lives to defend it. I'd like to thank uh, You've been watching live coverage of the first hearing by the House Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol attack. The testimony today from four police officers, as you've seen, has been both powerful.
speaker at me and uh, I was further inside the, the tunnel. What types of weapons did you see used against your fellow officers? Police shields, police baton, the hammer, the sledgehammer that you saw on, on, on that video, uh, flagpoles, tasers, pepper spray, bear spray, rebards, bats, uh, PVC pipes, copper pipes, rocks, uh, table legs breaking, broken down, furniture broken down, uh, the guardrails for the inauguration stage, cones, uh, four by four, any weapons, any items that they could get in their hands on it. That you were you were further down the corridor, but the speaker was thrown at you, um, and it and it hit your foot. Is that correct? Correct, sir. Uh, we have a, a photo. It was thrown my way, and then when landed, hit somebody else, and then hit my foot. I think we have a photo of your of your foot here as well that we'd like to show. That is correct. Can you tell me how you're doing? You you mentioned in your in your opening statement about your continued physical therapy um, related to the related to the foot. Can you tell me how you're doing? Um, the foot, I had a several conditions that were uh, one is uh, fusion on number one metatarsal uh, tarsal metatarsal. Then there was a hematode that as a result of the hit. And then the second and third di digit also got um, damage. And in order for to fix one, they needed to correct the, the big toe uh, to stabilize. If not, I would have laid on in the future, I would have had the same problem come returning. Um, it, it is very painful. It is with a lot of patience and determination that I had gone through, I still had the same problems uh, in terms of pain, stiffness, whatnot. The doctor last week on Tuesday told me that I'm gonna need surgery on my shoulder because I have a labrum tear that has now healed even six, more than six months later. Uh, and possibly my uh, rotator cuff also is gonna need some work. So that you're talking about eight months to, to a year more of physical uh, treatment and rehab. Sergeant, you're an immigrant from the Dominican Republic, a naturalized US citizen, and you mentioned how individuals had zeroed in on your, on your race um, that day. Yes, uh, sir. Can you tell me how that, how that made you um, feel? When we were, after, before, or right after uh, MPD just arrived with the uh, fluorescent uh, mountain bike unit, they, they got there. I was at the front line, and they apparently they seen even through the, my mask, they saw my skin color and said, "You're not even an American." Regardless whether whether I was in the military, they don't know that, but they yelling. In, and saying all these things to me, I mean, when I heard that, I wasn't even thinking about any racial stuff. I'd be like, okay, 
you don't know that for a fact, so I, I'm not even entertaining that. But it, it's just like Officer Harry uh, done. It takes time for you to process that. And, and you only realize what was happening after you go back and, and, and see it from a different point in time. Because I only saw that recently. But for me, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm, I'm there to stop them regardless. I, I'm not thinking what, what they were yelling in terms of my skin color or my race. And I know an American soldier, uh, soldier and former soldier and a police officer. I didn't take that in, in, into account when I was defending all of you guys. Um, officer Hodges, you characterize the attack on the Capitol as a white nationalist insurrection. Can you describe what you saw that led you to label the attack that way? <clears throat> the crowd was overwhelmingly white uh, males. Um, usually a little bit older, middle-aged, older, but some younger. I think out of the entire time I was there, I saw just two women and two Asian males. Everyone else was white males. Um, they're, um, they didn't say anything, especially um, xenophobic to me but to uh, my black colleagues and anyone who's not white and they would some of them would try to try to recruit me one of them came up to me and said are you my brother um there are many uh, many known um, organizations with ties to white uh, supremacy we had a presence there you know like three percenters oath keepers that kind of thing and um Everyone I've ever, people who associate with Donald Trump are uh, find more likely to subscribe to that kind of belief system. I want to thank the four of you for taking the very difficult step of sharing your stories and your recollections of the threats, violence that you endured. No one should have to experience what you went through. And this committee will continue its work to give a complete accounting of what happened, to protect further officers, and to amplify the stories that you've shared today. Thank you so much for being here. Yield back, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, gentlemen, yields back. Chair, I recognize the gentlelady from Florida, Ms. Murphy, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, um, and thank you to the witnesses um, for your testimony today, for your bravery on January 6th, and for your service to our country. Um, I know all of you endured a great deal on January 6th, and I know we've uh, watched a lot of difficult video um, in this testimony so far, but I hope it's okay with you if I, I show a brief video of what um, Officer Hodges experienced that day. Can you please cue the video?
Officer Hodges, I know that must have been difficult to watch, um, but I really think it's important for the American people to see that because that's the beginning of the kind of accountability that this committee is committed to in order for us to do what you said moving forward as a country. Um, you know, January 6th was an attack on our democracy. It was an attack on the peaceful transfer of power, and it was an attack on this Capitol building, but it was also an attack on real people. And most people don't know this, um, and I don't think even you know this, um, but your actions had a profound uh, impact on me. So at 3 p.m. on January 6th, while you were holding back the mob at the Lower West Terrace entrance, I was holed up with Congresswoman Kathleen Rice in a small office about 40 paces from the tunnel that you all were in. That's about from the distance where I'm sitting here on the dais to that back wall. And from that office, in close proximity to where you all held the line, I listened to you struggle. I listened to you yelling out to one another. I listened to you care for one another, directing people back to the makeshift eyewash station that was at the end of our hall. And then I listened to people coughing having difficulty breathing, but I watched you and heard you all get back into the fight. And I think Congresswoman Rice and I were the only members of Congress to be down there um, on that lower west ter terrace. You know, we had taken refuge in that office because we thought for sure being in the basement at the heart of the Capitol was the safest place we could be. And it turned out we ended up at the center of the storm. And Officer Fanon, you had said, you know, you were 250 feet off of that tunnel and you felt certain that they were going to kill you. Imagine if they had caught the two members of Congress that were just 40 feet from where you all were. And I know uh, Sergeant Gunnell and Officer Hodges, you, you, you both said that you didn't realize that other parts of the Capitol had been breached, but you really felt like you were the last line of defense. 
Well, I'm telling you that you were our last line of defense. Um, and during the exact period of time, Officer Hodges, in that video where you were sacrificing your body to hold that door, it gave uh, Congresswoman Rice and I and the Capitol Police officers who had been sent to extract us the freedom of movement on that hallway to escape down the other end of that hallway. And I, I shudder to think about what would have happened had you not held that line. You know, I, I have two young children. I have a 10-year-old son and a 7-year-old daughter. And they're the light of my life. And the reason I was able to hug them again was because of the courage that you and your fellow officers showed that day. And so just a really heartfelt thank you. Um, I think it's important for everybody, though, to remember that the main reason rioters didn't harm any members of Congress was because they didn't encounter any members of Congress. And they didn't encounter any members of Congress because law enforcement officers did your jobs that day and you did it well. I think without you, what would have been a terrible and what, what was a terrible and tragic day would have been even more terrible and more tragic. So just very grateful for all of you. And now I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about that video. Um, you've talked a little bit about it in your opening statement.
immense pain from the assault. It's clear that you were outnumbered, and yet you just said you got back out there again. Tell me what what's worth all of that pain? What was worth it? What were you fighting for that day? Democracy. Um, you were 40 feet away, 40 yards, whatever. Um, if, especially with the razor thin margins on um, Democrats and Republicans in the House and Senate, if any single one person was kidnapped or killed, which I have no doubt in my mind is what they intended, that would affect the outcome of legislation and, and all your uh, duties for years to come. And if that, that's just one person, what if, you know, more than one person, it would, the difference would be even greater than what should be and will be. Um, and for obviously for each other, you know, you, you, um, your immediate concern is the well-being of your colleagues, the other officers who were there fighting beside me. Um, I think I can speak for everyone I say we worry about each other more than ourselves. That's just in our nature. Uh, it's part of why you become a police officer. So, you know, like when Fanon said he was trying to find out who needs help, no one would volunteer. That's just an example of that kind of uh, mindset that we have. So it was, um, it was for democracy. It was for men and women of the House and Senate. It was for each other, and it was for the future of the country. Thank you, Officer Hodges, and thank you all um, for uh, defending democracy. And um, I appreciate your testimony, and I appreciate your continued service. With that, I yield back. Gentlelady lady yields back. Chair, recognize the gentleman from Maryland, Mr. Raskin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Sergeant Cannell, Officer Fanon, Officer Hodges, Officer Dunn, you are great law enforcement officers and a hero to law enforcement officers across the country. You're great public servants. You're a hero to public servants across the country, but you are great Americans and you are heroes to all of America. And long after you are gone, you will be remembered as heroes to our country, along with your fellow officers and those who attacked you and those who beat you are fascist traitors to our country and will be remembered forever as fascist traitors. Now, Officer Dunn, I've got to start with you because you're my constituent and you are the pride of Maryland today because of the way you stood up for the Capitol and for the Congress and for our democracy. But you said something fascinating in your testimony. You said you never seen anybody physically assault a single officer before in your 13 years on the force, much less thousands and thousands of people attacking hundreds of officers. So how did you experience that when it first happened? So with, um, with regards to the never seen, I'm sure I've seen videos of officers being attacked and people resisting arrests, but to clarify, it's never been the assault on the skills that we have seen like that before. Um, I just wanted to clarify that. Can you uh, repeat your question? For well, me? actually, it leads to my next one, actually. Um, you made a really interesting point. You said you'd seen protests for many, many years. You'd seen even civil disobedience for many years. There's an effort today to portray the events of January 6th like some kind of uh, 
resurrection of Dr. King's March on Washington in 1963. You know, and I've seen a lot of protests here too. I've seen the March for Our Lives that the young people did uh, about gun violence. I see people marching for DC statehood, arguing for their rights to representation uh, in Congress. And I've seen civil disobedience. But was this like any of those rallies or marches or demonstrations you'd ever seen? And if not, what was different about it? So while the, the, the marches that you, the protests that you specifically talked about, I'll go a step further and talk about the not so, one, the ones that had the potential to be not so peaceful. You had the, um, the Million Man March rally, uh, the 20th anniversary of it. Um, it was a lot of opposition to that. You had the, the Klan that came up here. You had people that were pro-guns that wanted to come up here. So the, all of those had the potential to be very violent and frankly, quite deadly, uh, but they did not. Um, on, this wasn't the first time that, if I can just use this quote, that the MAGA people came up here to the Capitol before. They were in DC before. There were some skirmishes, but it was never the attempt to overthrow democracy. They came up, I think this was maybe their second or third time that they had come up on January 6th. And even then, as belligerent as they were, it didn't account to this violence. So the only difference that I see in that is that they had marching orders, so to say. Um, when, when people feel emboldened by people in power, they, they assume that they're right. Like the, the, one of the scariest things about January 6th is that the people that were there, even to this day, think that they were right. They think that they were right. And that, that makes for a scary recipe for, for the future of this country. Um, so that, I think that's why it's very important that you all take this committee seriously and get to the bottom of why this happened and let's make it never happen again. Thank you. Um, Officer Fanon, um, I think you've given our committee our marching orders today, which is to hold the line. You held the line and now we've got to hold the line. So I want to thank you for that. If we show a fraction of the courage and the valor that you all demonstrated on January 6th, then we will hold the line in this committee. But I want to ask you about holding the line. I want to go back to this question of weapons so we can clear this up because there are still some people who are saying that the, that the insurrectionists were unarmed. And I wonder what your reaction is to that, because we've heard about, well, first of all, rampant baseball bats, lead pipes, um, Confederate battle flags, and so on. Um, and what about the question of firearms? So what is your reaction generally to this proposition that they weren't armed? First and foremost, uh, I would say that the implements that you just described uh, are most certainly weapons. Uh, with regards to firearms, um, I know that in the days uh, immediately before the January 6th insurrection uh, and January 6th itself, firearms were recovered uh, by law enforcement from individuals in Washington, D.C., uh, who were believed to have been uh, participants or at least those who were planning to participate in the January 6th insurrection. 
Uh, and yes, those were firearms, handguns, and such. Um, but for, forgive me for these questions, but I, I've got to ask you, uh, apparently in some nether regions of the internet, it's being said that uh, you, Officer Fanon, maybe were mistaken for Antifa, and that's why you were nearly beaten to death that day and carried in the crowd. Is there any way you think you were mistaken for Antifa? Well, I was in full uniform. Uh, I was, like I said, wearing my uniform shirt adorned with the Metropolitan Police Department's patch. I had my badge on until somebody ripped it off my chest. Uh, yeah. I do not believe I was mistaken for a member of Antifa. Um, you mentioned in your testimony that there's some people who would prefer that all of this go away, that we not have an investigation. Let's let bygones be bygones. But you seem pretty determined to get the country to focus on this. Why is that so important to you? Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, because of the actions of uh, officers who responded there that day, uh, specifically from my department, but also from the U.S. Capitol Police and, and some of the surrounding jurisdictions. Um, you know, downplaying the events of that day is also downplaying those officers' response. And like Sergeant Gunnell said, some of the officers, uh, part of the healing process uh, from recovering from the traumatic events of that day is having the nation accept the fact that that day happened. Some people are saying that uh, that as public servants, you all should not be speaking out, that cops, firefighters, teachers should just serve the public but should not speak out as citizens. What do you think about that, Officer Fennett? Um, well, I disagree. I've been outspoken throughout my career, uh, never to this magnitude. Um, as an undercover officer and a narcotics officer, I've preferred uh, obscurity in the public eye. Um, however, this, uh, this event is uh, something that we have not experienced in our lifetimes. Officer Hodges, um, I read your testimony carefully. I hope every American reads your testimony. But I noted that you referred to terrorists or terrorism 15 different times to describe the people who were assaulting officers, dragging them through the crowd, stealing their weapons, smashing them over the head, gouging eyes, and so on. Um, however, some of our colleagues have been calling the violent insurrectionists not terrorists, but tourists. Why do you call the attackers terrorists? And what do you think about our colleagues who think we should call them tourists? Well, if that's what American tourists are like, I can see why foreign countries don't like American tourists. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see why someone would take issue with the uh, title of terrorist gained a lot of uh, notoriety in our vocabulary in the past few decades. And uh, we like to believe that, no, that couldn't happen here. No, no domestic terrorism, no homegrown threats. But I came prepared. U.S. Code, Title 18, Part 1, Chapter 113, B's and Brown, Section 2331. The term domestic terrorism means activities that involve acts dangerous to human life that are a violation of the criminal laws of the United States or of any state, and B, appear to be intended 
to intimidate or coerce a civilian population, or to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion, or to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination, or kidnapping, and occur primarily within the territorial jurisdiction of the United States. Well, thank you for that. And um, I had one final question for Sergeant Gunnell, but it looks like my time is up, so I'll yield back to you. Chair, will give the gentleman opportunity to ask his Thank you for your indulgence, uh, the, the, Mr. Chairman. Um, are there questions, Sergeant Gunnell, that you hope we can answer as a committee about the causes of the attack, the nature of the attack, and what happened in the weeks prior to January 6th as we develop our work plan moving forward? I think, in my opinion, um, we do need to get to the bottom of it. Who incited, who brought those people here? Um, why did people were made to believe that the process was dragged along those lines? Um, but going back to what I just said, uh, I had, in my 15 years of service, I had given thousands of, uh, I had given tour to thousands of people at the Capitol as an officer, as a sergeant, and even in plain clothes uniform. Um, at no point in time did I ever get got attacked. I don't know why, how would you call an attack on police officer a tour? When you see me bleeding my hands, when you see all the officers getting concussion, getting maimed, getting fingers uh, shattered, I got gouged. It's indescribable. You're defending the undefensible. And it demoralized not just the rank and file, but the future, future recruits that we are trying to get. So, what, will you, what do you think people considering becoming law enforcement officers think when they see uh, elected leaders downplaying this? And why would I risk my life for them when they don't even care? They don't care what happened to the public. They don't care what happened to the officers. All they care is their job, their position. If, if, they, not, if they don't have the courage to put their job on the line because they want to feed some lies or not to feed somebody's ego or like for a tweet, that's not putting the country first. We are willing to risk our life, but at least make it worth it. We are trying, we, we do that regardless whether you are Republican, Democrat, Independent. We don't care when, you, when there's a call, radio call, or dispatch sends a call. We don't ask, hey, by the way, before I treat you, before I take care of you, are you a Republican or Democrat or Independent? We don't. We just respond. And normally, and under any other circumstances, we just stay shut. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about what happened to us. But this is bigger than that. You downplaying an event that happened to the country itself to democracy, to the rule of law. You're talking about people who claim that they are pro-law enforcement 
pro-police, pro-law and order. And then yet when they have the chance and the opportunity to do something about it, to hold people accountable, you don't. You pass the bucket like nothing happened. And, and it's so devastating for recruiting. Yes, we need bodies right now, but this makes it harder, especially when trying to attract the talent that we need, people who are willing to risk their lives to protect you guys. Well, thank you very much, Sergeant Connell. And Mr. Chairman, you know, the question was asked by Officer Dunn, is this America? I think these gentlemen embody the spirit of America and we must do justice to their sacrifice in the work of our committee. I yield back. No question about it. Chair recognizes General Lady from Virginia, Ms. Luria. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And I want to say uh, to the four officers here today that I'm grateful for your service, for you sharing your stories, for your willingness to speak to the members of this committee and to the American people about the horrific things that you experienced on January 6th, truly experienced in defense of our democracy. Sergeant Gunnell, we talked earlier and, and you mentioned the many times that you took the oath, both to become a naturalized citizen, to join the army, to serve as a, an officer of the Capitol Police Force. And Officer Hodges, you mentioned as well um, as a National Guardsman um, and as a police officer. And Now, when you mentioned and compared this earlier to the experiences that you had in Iraq, that in a war zone, you didn't feel like you felt that day. Can you, can you share that with us in a little more detail, what was going through your head, your thoughts about what you had experienced defending our nation on foreign soil and then being here in the heart of our nation and our capital and being assaulted the way that you were? Um. It is very disappointing in terms of like when you see when I was at the lower West Terrace and I saw many officers fighting for their lives against people, rioters, our own citizens turning against us, people who had the blue line, thin blue line on their chest or a another writer with a Marine hat that says veteran or uh, any other type of military paraphernalia or whatnot. And then they're accusing us of betraying the off, but they the one betraying the off. When I was in Iraq, the sense of camaraderie, uh, it didn't matter whether you were white, black, Spanish, Middle Eastern. We all knew what we were fighting for. And my experience there was the, there were times that I was, yes, I was scared of going on convoys or doing my supply mission to the local Iraqi population because at any point we were possibly ambushed or getting shot at. We knew the risk, but here it was 
simultaneously over, over and over. Our own citizens, while they were attacking us because we are, were defending the very institution that they are claiming that they're trying to save. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I know it, it's been difficult today as we've watched these images from the Capitol, but I, I did want to share one more video, but this time I would, I would ask people, you could even like, close your eyes and listen without watching. Just listen to what is being said as these brave men were being overrun. So, Officer Fanona, I, I, I wanted to turn to you. And when you hear the rioters chanting things in this video, things like F the blue, you can't even call yourself an American, you're on the wrong side of freedom, can, can you share how that makes you feel? Again, I think when I, you know, my, my response that day, and at no point that day did I ever uh, think about uh, the politics of that crowd. Uh, even the things that were being said did not resonate uh, in the midst of that chaos. Um, but what did resonate was the fact that thousands of Americans were attacking police officers uh, who were simply there doing their job. Uh, and and that they were there to disrupt uh, members of Congress who were doing their job. Um, you know, in retrospect now, thinking about uh, those events, the things that were said, it's disgraceful that uh, members of our government I believe were uh, responsible for uh, inciting that behavior uh, and then continue to uh, propagate those uh, statements. Things like, um, you know, this was the 1776 uh, or that uh, police officers who fought uh, risked their lives, and some who gave theirs were uh, red coats uh, and traitors. Uh, to me, those individuals are, uh, you know, representative of the worst that America has to offer.
Thank you. And, and thinking about the events that happened on January 6th and thinking about what led up to that day, I, I was reminded of a quote, um, a quote that I frequently heard used from Hemingway that asks, you know, how do these things happen? How do things like this happen? And that quote, it's very short. It just says, gradually and then suddenly. And I think that our founders understood that our republic was very fragile and it would be tested. And it was tested here on January 6th. You know, in 20 years, I, I don't want to look back on this moment and think that we saw these signs coming gradually, that these were signs that we ignored, that signs that people thought were just isolated incidents or, or signs of things that we thought could never happen. And, and I don't want to say to my daughter or Sergeant Gunnell to your son or Officer Fanon to your four daughters, I don't want any of us to say that this happened gradually and then suddenly. And that, that some were just too worried about winning the next election to do something about it or too cowardly to seek the truth. So that's the task before this committee. I'm sure that we'll be attacked by cowards, by those in the arena, those only in the stands, and that we'll be attacked by people who are more concerned about their own power than about the good of this country. But, but my oath, your oath, all of our oaths here today to protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and Uh, concerns, that being the immediate security of the Capitol building itself, uh, also uh, the forced mobilization of officers that day, uh, planning and preparation, and training and equipment concerns. Uh, a lot of, you know, 
the events of January 6th uh, and the days preceding. Uh, I guess it's in, it's interesting in from a law enforcement perspective uh, as a police officer, a lot of these events happened in plain sight. Uh, we had uh, violent political rhetoric. We had the um, organization of a rally uh, whose title was uh, Stop the Steal. And that that rally occurred uh, on January 6th, with, which I don't believe was a coincidence that on January 6th, uh, members of Congress, you here in, in uh, the room today, were charged with uh, tallying the electoral votes and certifying the election uh, of our president. And uh, in the academy, we learn about time, place, and circumstance in investigating uh, potential crimes and those who may have committed them. And so the time, the place, and the circumstances of that rally, that rhetoric, and those events, to me, leads in the direction of our president and other members, uh, not only of Congress and the Senate, uh, but that is what I am looking for, is an investigation into those actions and activities uh, which may have resulted in the events of January 6th, and also whether or not there was collaboration between those members, their staff, and these terrorists. Thank you very much. Uh, Officer Hodges. I think uh, Fanon hit the nail on the head there. Um, as uh, patrol officers, we can only, you know, deal with the crimes that happen on the streets, the misdemeanors, and occasionally the violent felonies. But um, you guys are the only ones we've got to deal with crimes that occur above us. It, I need you guys to address if anyone in power had a role in this. If anyone in power coordinated or aided or abetted or tried to downplay, tried to prevent the investigation of this uh, terrorist attack because we can't do it. We're not allowed to. And I think um, the majority of Americans are really looking forward to that as well. Thank you. Officer Dunn. Uh, thank you, Chairman. Um, there's been a sentiment that's going around that says everybody's trying to make January 6th political. Well, it's not a secret that it was political. They literally were there to stop the steal. So when people say it shouldn't be political, it is. It was and it is. There's no getting around that. Telling the truth shouldn't be hard. Fighting, for, fighting on January 6th, that was hard. Showing up January 7th, that was hard. The 8th, the 9th, the 10th, all the way till today, that was hard. When the fence came down, that was hard. 
we lost our layer of protection that we had and the fence came down and still nothing has changed. Everything is different, but nothing has changed. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are being lauded as courageous heroes. And while I agree with that notion, why? Because they told the truth? Why is telling the truth hard? I guess in this America, it is. Us four officers, we would do January 6th all over again. We wouldn't stay home because we knew it was going to happen. We would show up. That's courageous. That's heroic. So what I ask from you all is to get to the bottom of what happened. And that includes, like, I echo the sentiments of all of the other officers sitting here. I use an analogy to describe what I want as a hitman. If a hitman is hired and he kills somebody, the hitman goes to jail. But not only does the hitman go to jail, but the person who hired them does. There was an attack carried out on January 6th, and a hitman sent them. I want you to get to the bottom of that. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you. Very powerful comments, by the way. Uh, Chairman Thompson? Yes. If I may, if I, may add, uh, I also would like to also for you guys to give us the tools or at least the things we need to succeed, to continue to protecting you guys. That's, uh, I think that's essential uh, for you guys to provide us what we need in terms of like financially. Um, I don't know, I'm not part of the innuendo about how that process works, but perhaps fortifying fortifying the capital that will help. I know we were literally desperate. If we had that, that would have made a big difference on January 6th. I know people want to keep this place open to the public as much as possible, but there are things that we could do to remediate that and also, or to reinforce entrances, why not? Uh, it's hard, but it takes will, I know cap, I can tell the Capitol has some regulations and whatnot, but the time has passed. We still have security measures from 20 years ago. That had to go. We need to reinvent the will and change that. But only you guys have the power to authorize that. They won't do it unless you guys do. The, same, the other thing is we still only operating on certain things that we could adjust, things that we were doing back in when 9-11 happened. We're still doing it today, even six months after the attack on the Capitol. But only you, perhaps with the chief of police, the new chief of police, which he seems uh, resetted to some of these changes, perhaps that would change. But we took, just like Officer Don said, we still doing things that Prior January 6th, we were doing it, and we're still doing it today. And I think that should change. Thank you. Well, again, thank all of you for your, your testimony. And obviously, you are real heroes in this situation. Uh, what you did in, in the committee's 
opinion help preserve this democracy? The time you gave for reinforcements to finally get to the Capitol made the difference. Uh, so for that, we thank you. But you carried out your duties at tremendous risk. Now we on this committee have a duty, however, a far less dangerous one, but an essential one to get to the bottom of what happened that day. We cannot allow Uh, any closing remarks? Without objections, members will be permitted 10 business days to submit statements for the record, including opening remarks and additional questions for witnesses to appropriate staff at all meetings of the select committee. Without objection, the committee stands adjourned. For the last three and a half hours, we have been watching this House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot on the Capitol, the building just behind us here in Washington. The powerful testimony, powerful and personal, emotional at times, from four Capitol police officers, one of them saying, describing the... So what does everyone think about what they just heard? And they're trying to say that January 6th was not as bad as what, uh, trying to say it was worse than what happened last summer. And I am going to go back to and show you the rest of that video. Joker, you're probably right. But let me show you what part of the thing was
I'm using this under the fair act. Fair act. This is just a bunch of bullshit. And thank you everyone for coming. And uh, Sunday I am doing a live stream talking about the parallels of uh, the 1930s and 40s Germany and the United States today. And I hope everyone can come and be a part of that stream. With that, I am going to close this down. I hope everyone has a good day and hope to see you Sunday.